I have given you John 13, verse 1, and jump down to 31, and all the way to the end of the 14th chapter of John. And by this time, you know, when I give you a whole chunk of passage, it is to give you an overview. It is a lot. I am aware of that. And if I may say this to you, I thought about reading the entire passage that I've given you. But my sermon will bring you back to the text, so I don't want to do it twice. And it is a lot. So I will just read verse 1 of chapter 13 and chapter 14. But I want you to have this passage open before you as we go through probably a lot of sections of it. So chapter 13, verse 1 in book of John says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And let's jump to John 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Amen. You know, last week, Sunday, we had snowstorm. And it threw me off course from what I have prepared for us. And the Philippians, we will get back to. But next week is our congregational meeting, so I prepared a message for that Sunday. And today, I will just bring you this text to you. John 13 through 17 is known as Upper Room Discourse. That's the nickname given to John 13 through 17. Because Jesus is having his final meal with his disciples, and there we find lots of Jesus' teaching in the Upper Room. Or people call it Farewell Discourse, because Jesus is about to depart from the world as you have seen. Long time ago, when I was in seminary, Sinclair Ferguson asked us, where do you find Trinitarian theology in the Bible? And he said, not many people know where to go when I ask them, the future pastors, where in the Bible do you find Trinity? And he said, you will find much of Jesus' own teaching about the Trinity in this text. If you have read John, John 13 through 17, it is packed with truth. Um, so this year I wanted to tackle that. So I've been meditating upon chapter 13 and 14. His time has come. Meaning, the cross has come. So right before chapter 13, John 12, 27 says, Jesus says this, Now, 
My soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came, he said. So as he was nearing to the cross, he was not remaining stoic about it. So he says with his own lips, my soul has become troubled. Chapter 13, though we didn't read earlier part of 13, he washes his disciples' feet. And Judas Iscariot goes out to betray Jesus. So in verse 21, he says this, When Jesus has said this, he became troubled in spirit. So his time has come. The cross is before him. And what was weighing down upon him was more than the fear of physical punishment that he had to go through. But as sinless God-man, the prospect of carrying the sins of the world and to be the object of God's curse and wrath was a lot upon him. During that time, the greatest statement in the upper room discourse comes in chapter 13, verse 1. And this unlocks the entire upper room discourse. And this is something that I've seen this week. Is that verse 1, chapter 13, verse 1, the end of that verse. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Holy Spirit reveals to us what was happening in Jesus' mind. He was not simply, oh my, I am stressed out. I am fearful. But the mind of Christ is revealed to us in chapter 13, verse 1, that he decided to love his church to the end. That was his decision. So all that he teaches in the upper room discourse is his act of love. Now, cross before him, he's just betrayed by Judas Iscariot, but his disciples are not offering him any comfort. They are Spiritually young. That is why, if you will look at verse 33, what does he say? Chapter 13, verse 33. How does he address them? Little children. All of them are middle-aged men. But Jesus says, not in a pejorative sense, your babies, but with Affection, yet it reveals the truth, their spiritual maturity. Little children. And he says, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Where are you going? See, he doesn't understand. 
Nobody here understands what is going on. So Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. So, the context is, Jesus is in distress. Jesus has revealed to his disciples that I am going away from you, but you cannot come. And Peter, representing the entire disciples, saying he is perplexed. He is disappointed. And he is scared. Because Jesus said, I am leaving you. You don't know where I'm going and you cannot follow me. So the disciples are troubled. That's the context. But we also know from verse 1 that Jesus decided to love them to the end. Upper room discourse, that what you will see and what I'm about to explain to you, only the few bullet points going over a few verses, they are given to his disciples not to lecture them about theology of triune God. Oh, I am about to leave, so let me give them some systematic theology, something for them to think about. But it is Jesus' act of loving his disciples. If you were in Jesus' shoes, what would you say to them? When I'm gone, this is how you are supposed to do the church. Pick among yourselves, president, follow him. You could pray this time, I will answer you, strategize, let's go out to the world. You will find what is contained in the upper room discourse, especially in chapter 14, is his way of assuring them and comforting them in light of his impending departure from the world. So look at verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1. He says to his disciples, Do not let your heart be troubled. Because they are scared. What's the antidote? Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe, but more accurately, have faith in God. Have faith also In me is the answer. You and I, we live in this world. And oftentimes we feel like these little children, his disciples. Oftentimes we are scared. Because Jesus is not right here next to me. But Jesus will say to you and me today, Do not let your heart be troubled. What is the answer? Believe. He's not speaking to the pagans, non-believers, but the disciples. Basically saying, 
You have a general idea about me and God the Father, but it is time now to put more faith in God, more faith in me. Greater faith and a greater assurance of the things eternal and unseen, they are required now. So as not to have troubled hearts. What kind of answers and advices can you get from the world? You know, when we are in trouble, when you are scared, when you are in much distress. Here is the answer. Jesus, in his wisdom and in his love, will reveal things to his disciples who are little children, but these are the things that he wanted them to know so that their hearts may not be in trouble, troubled hearts. And I will give you a few things that Jesus says here. So that's the context. Let's think about all the things that Jesus reveals in the context of loving his disciples, his church. First thing that he talks about after verse 1 is what? Verse 2 and 3. It is by knowing that there is a place for you and me in God's house. That's the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. And he says the content. What does that mean? Believe in what kind of God? What kind of stuff should I believe in? And he reveals the content. And a few bullet points. First thing is that there is a place for you and me in God's house. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, if you just go into verse 2 and 3, it sounds like God is, Jesus is talking about just heaven, something about heaven. Doctrine of heaven. But once again, the context is, do not let your heart be troubled. Whatever the cause in your heart right now, you may be stressed out about your studies, maybe our finance, maybe your relationships, maybe the future of our church, whatever is weighing down upon our heart, Jesus will probably say, according to this text, I am going to prepare a place for you. Think about that. The disciples are now in the upper room. Jesus just told them, I'm leaving. You cannot come. They are scared. You expect Jesus to say something very comforting to them. But the very first thing that he talks about is a place that I am going away to prepare for you. And in my father's house, there will be a place for you. How could that help them at this point? Shouldn't Jesus talk about how then, I'm, after I'm gone, how to do a church, how you could make a living, how you could make disciples, some future plans. But Jesus talks about heaven, and that 
you have a place in God's house. Though it may seem like Jesus is talking about one thing here and another thing here. Jesus wanted to comfort them by telling them that you could be assured of your salvation, that there will be a place for you in Father's house. That tells me the very first solution for our anxiety, anxieties that you may have in this world right now is to be assured of your salvation. That is the first thing, that is the primary thing, that is the foundation of all other things that Jesus is going to talk about. Because when you think about it, only after you are assured that you have a place in the heavenly places because of Christ, I do not have to worry about the transient things that are passing away. Only after you are assured about your own salvation that you may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So maybe at this time you may think about, I mean, what does that have to do with me? I am worried about my next this. That's why you need to go home and think about this verse. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Right? In life. Not simply in death, in deathbed, but in life, throughout life, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So every turn when you feel worried, like disciples, Probably at this time, disciples are saying, what does that mean? You're going away to prepare a place for me, but I want you to know, that's the place where you should begin. And think about whether you know for sure that is the case for you. Second thing is this. Look at verse 5. And Thomas said to him in verse 5, probably with Much irritation, if I could guess. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. We don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? We don't know where. Then how do we know the way? Look at verse now 6. Jesus said to him, What does he say? I am the way. And the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. So, you see, what I want you to see, what I'm doing here is that oftentimes we talk about these verses out of context. Out of context, 14.6 usually is about exclusivity, about salvation in Christ alone. But is that the context? No, it is not. Verse 5, the question was, How do we know the way? We don't know where you are going, but how can we follow you? How can we find the way to you is the question. How is the question? And Jesus answered how. This is how. That I am the way. See, It's not so much about exclusivity, though it is. 
But primary intention here is to explain to Thomas, you know how you could find way back to God and to me is to know that I am the way. You walk upon me. You come through me because I'm the door. You stick with me. That's how you find your way to the Father. Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. That's where I'm going. That's my destination. To prepare a place for you. But I will come back. So Jesus is answering in verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. As a way of explaining to them how. That's how. I am the way. That second thing that I want you to know. Third thing that um, Jesus talks about here is verse 8 and 9. By believing that the Father and the Son are one. Verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. You see, the whole context once again was that they were scared. So Jesus is doing all that explanation. I am going to prepare a place for you. And how? I am the way. Follow me. Stick with me. Walk upon me. Come through me. I am the way to the Father. And Philip says, you know, forget all of that. Just show me the Father. Then that's it. That, that will solve our problems. I could have a million problems, but if you could show me the Father, true, you know, God, the Father, then it will solve all of our problems, and all the things that you have said will be true. That's what Philip is saying. But the great doctrine of the Father and the Son being one, the triune triunity of God, is given in the context of Jesus answering Philip. The request was, Jesus, you could go away. Just show us the Father. Then problem solved. To that question, Jesus says in verse 9, Have I been so long with you and you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, Do, do you not believe that I am in the Father? The Father is in me. The great perichoresis of the Father and the Son, those two, Father and the Son, they are one together, loving each other. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does His works. Verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is not saying, you know, um, It's time for you to know something of a higher doctrine of triune God, Trinity. Jesus is not. The context is comforting them. Jesus is basically saying, show you the Father. You have seen me, therefore you have seen the Father, because Father and I, we are one. You listen to my words, because I am not speaking my words on my own initiative, but I am only speaking the words that Father is giving me. So you could trust me, my words. You could see me and see the Father. So that is the context of, and Jesus will say much more. Then we have a couple of insights here. The Trinity 
becomes visible, if I may say, or tangible through the access point of Christ through the Spirit. It's not abstract, three in one, but Jesus is emphasizing Him, Christ. It is through Christ you come to know the Father. Triune God, the knowledge of Trinity, comes mainly through Christ, through the help of the Holy Spirit. So, Trinitarian theology must be deeply comforting doctrine for the church. It's not some high doctrine, but it is given in the context of showing the Father to Philip by pointing them to himself. The fourth thing that Jesus says is this. I want you to look at verse 12. These are all of the ways in which Jesus is comforting his disciples whose hearts are troubled. Verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. He will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because why? Because I go to the Father. Implication is the Holy Spirit is going to come. I'm confined to one location because of my body. But the Holy Spirit will enable you, teach you, and lead you to all truth. And He will empower you. And I'll go away. And it is better for you. And the greater works than what I am doing, you will do. He will do. How? Holy Spirit, yes. Verse 13 and 14 is given in in that context. By praying to me, you see. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So if you take these verses out of context and talk about whatever you ask in my name, I will do, we are puzzled. But the context is that greater works than these He will do because I go away. Holy Spirit will come. But you are going to do greater works than what I have done on earth. But this is how you are going to do it. Yes, Holy Spirit will come and help you, abide in you. But you got to ask. Whatever you ask so that you could do the works of God. Christ has given us the way to unlock God's wisdom and power. If you ask me anything in my name out of context, then whatever that I desire. No, the context is greater works than these he will do. And the way the church, you and I, you and me, we could do the greater works than Jesus is by relying upon Christ, but by praying together. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. For His glory, this is spoken to the church. And we have a lot of things to ask from God for His glory. Probably this will be the last one that I want you to remember. Is this. Verse 18. In between, He just talked about the Holy Spirit. Who He is, what He will do for the church. 
But verse 18, he promises his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. He just said, I will go away, right? But Jesus says here in verse 18, after speaking about whom? The Holy Spirit. And verse 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What, what is he talking about? Just because he talked about the Holy Spirit in preceding verses that I haven't read, the implication is, I will come to you again in the person of the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 2, right? Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost. Disciples are praying, Holy Spirit comes. What is that about? It is not, first and foremost, about the empowerment of the church. It is not really about speaking in tongues, having the fire, breathing fire, all of that. It is not that. Acts 2, according to this text, is about what? Jesus coming back. Jesus coming back in His own Spirit, that is Holy Spirit, because Jesus became the life-giving Spirit at the time of resurrection. Acts chapter 2 is Jesus, this Jesus coming back to His disciples after the resurrection in the person of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus keeps his promise. I will come back to you. I will come back to you. I will not leave you as orphans. But I come back to be with you. And that happens in, the, in Acts 2. So entire chapter 14 began with verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. I believe in God. Believe also in me. Literally, put your faith in God and put your faith in me. And I talked about a few things. Yes, I could have said more. Beginning place, remember, heaven. Do not underestimate the power of knowing your final destiny or destination. That Christ has a place for you, prepared for you. That should be a, a comfort but also a confidence to you. What can man do to me when Christ himself has prepared a place for me? People say, oh, heaven and all of that talk. But that gives us all confidence in Christ, living our lives, trusting that we have a place in heaven. And all of the things that I have talked about once again in chapter 14 was not everybody sit down, I'm about to go, here is systematic theology, one, two, three, four, doctrine of heaven, atonement, Holy Spirit, Trinity, Father and the Son, one, and all of that. It is not the, that, that was not the intention. But intention was to the little children fearful of the fact that their master, the rabbi, is leaving them. But Jesus does not talk about any earthly comfort. But Jesus is giving, yes, high theology. All of that telling us, for us to have comfort in this world, you and I need to go to this text, this word, who keeps his promise, Jesus Christ. He said he will come back and he comes back. 
and trust these words. Put your faith in these words. Then through these words to God and to Christ, greater faith in Him. That's the way you and I, our hearts are not troubled. That's something that you and I need to do. Not some superficial, do this, take a time, take a deep breath, all of that nonsense. No, you go to the Word, you read this, same situation, fearful, are you fearful? Then meditate these words. Verse 27, that's how I will end. At the end of this chapter, he said, do not let your heart be troubled in verse 1. He ends this entire whole contours of his theology, doctrine he gives. And at the end, verse 27, he says, peace I live with you. You see, Do not let your heart be troubled. Put your faith in the Father, in, my, in myself, in, in Christ. And at the end, it caps, this chapter is capped with verse 27. Peace I live with you. And what does it say next? My peace I give to you. Peace that God gives to His church is not simply after the reflection upon these texts, after Bible study, but it is Jesus' own peace, my peace. Christ has to give it to us. I give to you. Peace of God we cannot seek elsewhere but Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who has achieved peace with God through the reconciliation that He has achieved and bought, purchased with His own blood, for his church. So how foolish would it be for his church to seek the peace elsewhere? We have to go to Christ. He has given us his self-revelation in the upper room. Christ wanted his disciples to know and meditate upon these. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus' own promise, my peace I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful, will come true. 2022, you have many things in front of you as a church. Uh, May God give us this Abiding peace. This is not a peace that you get for a while and disappear. Because Jesus said, as you keep my, uh, keep my commandment, my word, we will come to him and make our abode with him. Our Father and the Son, through the Spirit, will come and reside in us. Peace of God Himself within us. Abiding peace. Do you want that? I want that. Do you need that? I need that. Then go to Christ. Obey His word. Keep His word. Trust 
His word that He has given us, then the triune God will come and make their abiding abode with us. Is His promise for His church. Let's pray.